Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. We're going to depart a little bit from our usual uh, beekeepers technician course, and we're going to be focusing more on the uh, um, beginner's beekeeping course. Um, I am actually doing a beginner's beekeeping course for some of the people in my, fellow, in my uh, local area, so uh, we're going to be uh, focusing more on that. However, before we get started, let me uh, first uh, put some uh, ways that you can uh, listen and contact me. You can find me at https colon forward slash forward slash lbry.tv or on odyssey.com. Just search for Friends of Brother Adam. I'm also on Anchor, and you can get the Anchor app at the Play Store. Anchor, or you can go on anchor.fm and listen to it just online without the app. Also, you can find me now on Podbean podcast app. You download that through the uh, Play Store as well, podbean.com. You can listen to it online, and, and you're going to be looking for friends of Brother Adam. Please support me by uh, going and watching stuff on Odyssey, spelled O-D-Y-S-E-E, -E, or on Libraries spelled L-B-R-Y. If you go and watch me there, you will actually, <laughs> every every view, you can uh, um, you can give me a little bit of library coin with every view that you have. Also, on library, the platform, you are able to send me a little bit of tips through the library platform in library coin. Um, when you sign up, library gives you a certain amount of library coin, and you can uh, utilize that to watch videos for free, or you can uh, gift it to people. Um, you can also put um, some cash on your library card <laughs> and uh, be able to send people cash that way as well. Um, and that just helps out. Uh, as well, you can go to the splash screen um, for this podcast, and you'll notice that it's got a guy sitting there with a bunch of beehives in the background, old-timey log beehives. And then in the corner, there's a little QR code um, that if you click on that and you have a wallet with Bitcoin in it, you can donate to me with Bitcoin. And why do I ask you to donate and do all these things? Well, I'm trying to get uh, <laughs> enough money together to... Uh, purchase myself a, a gaming computer that has a high video rendering ability. Um, I'm going to be doing some more uh, detailed videos on library. And so I need to uh, save up and be able to get something like that. So that's why I'm asking for some help and donations. And hopefully uh, you guys are, are willing to do that because of the value that I'm giving you here on these podcasts. So today... We are going to be learning, um, first of all, about the seasonal cycle of, of bees and, and how that works. And then we're going to go into a little bit more on the growth and development of bees and uh, some of the things that that actually means. So, with the seasonal cycle, bees uh, are a super organism. They come through the winter um, in a cluster. Um, bees are cold-blooded, but as a cluster and as a hive, they're actually 
considered warm-blooded. And, and the reason that is, is that superorganism, um, all, the little all the little pieces of that superorganism work together to keep the queen alive during the winter. And uh, unlike bumblebees, who the, the queen goes away and, and hibernates and kind of nestles herself in some place where she's not going to get frostbitten, and she lets her temperature drop down really low, and uh, she's cold-blooded, and then she wakes up in the spring, crawls out, and goes about her business, and she's a fertilized female. So she starts her, her, uh, her spring all alone, and as soon as she lays the first bunch of eggs, those are her workers, and they will take over doing the food collection and the nest making while she just concentrates on laying eggs. Unlike the bumblebees, our honeybees um, have a group of the bees that make it through the winter and keep the queen warm throughout the winter. And uh, they're very special bees because in the fall, they're born sometime in the fall and they last the whole entire winter to the spring. And uh, so they have an extra long life, life uh, cycle. Um, usually bees last for about a month and a half and then they die off. Um, but the winter bees last for six to eight months. Um, and they are able to make it through to the spring and get the queen a good start in the spring. And then they die off. So, and, and how they keep the uh, queen warm during the winter is they flap their wings and they're not going anywhere but the the muscles that they utilize to flap their wings actually project the heat directly down so if they have their feet on the person or on the bee below them and they're flapping their wings it projects the heat down and towards the center of the ball so even in minus 20, minus 30 weather, they don't have any problem. And as soon as the outside bees start getting cold, they do what the penguins do. They kind of melt into the middle and the, the ones next up are still warm. And they go to the outside and they do their thing until they get cold. And then they melt into the middle and, and it just keeps rotating in and out. Um, penguins do that as well. They huddle in a group and the outside penguins, they, they stand there until they're cold and then they go into the middle and some more penguins come out to the outside. It's just kind of a rotating thing that they do. It's uh, sharing the adversity <laughs> and uh, it helps them get through colder times. Um, and because the only thing that they're doing is warming up the queen by flapping their wings. They're not flying anywhere. They're not, you know, hurting themselves. They're not squishing through little teeny holes or anything like that that's going to scratch and scrape their wings or anything like that. They tend to have quite a long life cycle. Um, and they are eating the um, honey and and bee bread that is stored in the, the colony. And... Uh, Hopefully, there's enough uh, there's enough um, uh, honey in the colony for them to be able to make it through the winter. Um, their heat that they make does rise up the colony, and so you'll see that the bees start inching up the um, 
inside the colony as they as the winter goes along and by time spring comes they're actually in the top of the colony and uh, that's because they ate the honey all the way up from where they were clustered and they they use that cluster as a way to keep themselves warm and as a way to keep everybody together so that they can share the the responsibility of keeping the bees warm and then also being warm by their their fellows or their sisters um so one of the other things that you need to know is um, they are so tightly packed together that some of the bees actually get into the cells that have been eaten out and cleared out and they stick their heads in the cells and the only thing sticking out is a little tiny piece of their backside and then the next bee can go really close to them and squish down and in that manner they can really fit a lot of bees into that little tiny area. Uh, the races of bees used in Canadian beekeeping are adapted to temperature and climate. The cycle of the colony development follows the cycle of the seasons, while other species of social bees, like we were talking about before, um, only survive with the uh, queen surviving through. With European bees, they store food and then they last the whole entire winter. And usually they start store food far in excess of the day-to-day -day demands in order to survive periods of dearth, inclement weather, and during the winter. Um, when too hot, they can control the temperature of the brood nest by air circulation. So they get out on the outside of the, the hive and they flap their wings and they push air in. And then up at the top of the hive, there's a hole at the very top and you'll get bees sitting up there and flapping their wings, pushing it towards the opening and out. So um, they also use, uh, they use air circulation. They also use water. Um, and the way they use water is they go out and they pick up a little droplet of water. They fly into the nest and put it on the wall of the, of the beehive. And with the air circulating through, they create essentially a little tiny swamp cooler inside their hive. And as the water evaporates, it, takes, it dissipates some of the uh, heat. So that's one of the ways that they keep themselves cool in the summertime. When they are too cold, they cluster together and generate heat energy. This adaptability allows colonies to survive in every environment inhabited by the human race. In spring, an overwintered colony of bees may consist from 10,000 to 20,000 individuals or more. With the onset of spring pollen and nectar availability, the colony begins to increase in numbers, providing there is access to food and water. So pausing here, <laughs> this is a hint. <laughs> you need to, um, here in Canada, just because of the way things are set up here in Canada, we do not have really early pollen. We don't have really early nectar. Uh, we don't have um, pollen and nectar that comes out in uh, February, March, which some years your bees will come out of cluster in late February, early March, like they did this year. So that means from that time, late February, early March, until 
May. We don't have anything really coming into the the hive. We don't. We occasionally have some pollen from the trees, um, but most times we don't have any pollen coming in until first flowers come out. Those flowers are usually dandelions, fruit trees, and willow trees or, or willow bushes. So those are our, our first flowers that we usually get. And so they cannot start producing um, babies in uh, a large amount until they get those first flowers in. So if you want to step up and uh, and get your your beehive booming long before those flowers come out, it's up to you to feed them with sugar and with um, pollen substitute. So we can go to a store and purchase something called a pollen patty, and um, you can use something called the camp method. And the camp method is where you put a newspaper on top of the colony, you put a little shim in there that's just kind of like a, an inch high shim that goes around the whole entire colony and it, it lifts the lid up uh, an inch so that you have some space in there to put your sugar in. And so you put your, your um, newspaper down on top of the, the frames, you pour your sugar on top and then you pour a little bit of sugar water as you go on the top and uh, and it just kind of gives the bees an idea that when they come to remove it because it's a foreign thing in their hive they'll try and remove it but when they come up to remove it and you sprayed it with water and it's a little bit sticky and they go um num num on it they're like whoa wait a minute this is yummy sweet we'll eat it so that's that's what you do for the camp method and the reason why you use the camp method um in the early spring is because of the temperatures um, and this is something that you start getting the rhythm of as you go along the temperatures are going to dictate to you what uh, activity that you're going to be doing so um, early in the spring your first temperature that means anything is when the daytime temperatures get to plus 10 when the daytime temperatures get to plus 10, the bees come out for their first uh, manure flight. So bees poop when they're flying, not any other time usually. If they're pooping inside the colony, there's a problem. <laughs> if they're pooping on the outside of the colony, there's a problem. Bees usually poop in the air, and so they go for their little their manure flight, and then they circle back around, come back into the hive. That happens at plus 10 daytime temperatures. When you hit plus 10 nighttime temperatures, that's when you switch the camp method into... Um, feeding them one-to-one -one sugar and water. So you would put um, five cups of sugar, five cups of water into a container, something like a, a little um, chicken, chicken water feeder thing, and you blend it up so that it's nice and syrupy. You turn it upside right so that it leaks out, and then you get some grass, some dried grass and you kind of just stick it around so that the bees can fly up, land on the grass, crawl down, get some nectar, and then fly back to the hive. You're going to be feeding them when the temperature reaches plus 10 in the daytime, or I mean in the nighttime. Because if they 
get water or they get the nectar and then they fly back to the hive and they don't have enough time to cure it and put it into the cells, what you're doing is you're just putting water into the hive and you're going to end up either with uh, um, mold in the hives or you'll end up with um, very cold bees and they just won't make it. So you don't want to be feeding them any liquids until it's plus 10 at night. Okay, so right now it hasn't reached plus 10 at night. So with my hive, uh, with, with my friend's hive that managed through the winter, um, it's that, that I'm keeping at my house. <laughs> um, it made it through the winter and I unwrapped it and then I put the pollen patties on the top of the frames and I put a camp method on top of that and I sprayed it and then I closed it back up because I know that more or less, usually um, there is a freeze at the end of this month. So you just got to know that. And uh, so I covered them back up. So they now have their pollen patties. They now have their camp method of feeding, which is uh, granulated sugar that has been wet a little bit. Um, they have the ability to get that if they're hungry. They have the ability to eat the pollen patties, which have a little bit of sugar and uh, a whole lot of uh, pollen and flour and all sorts of good stuff in there to, to give them protein. Um, and that's how you get increase your numbers of babies that are happening and how you can get a jump start on your 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 nest in 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 the early spring now um, one of the things that you have to watch out for is here in canada we have something called or here in southern alberta we have something called chinooks and although leonardo dicaprio felt that chinooks were you know the end of the world and we've got to change it and we got to you know do something as far as paying a tax to somebody that'll change the weather. Not exactly sure how that all works, but um, apparently Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't like these Chinooks and neither do the bees. <laughs> the reason is, is it gets warm and you can actually have plus 15 in the daytime, plus 10 at night. And then within a short period of time, it'll drop down to minus 20 again. Um, bees don't like that because they usually have trouble getting back into their cluster before it gets too cold and they end up ch chilling the queen and then the queen ends up dying and then you lose your colony. So <laughs> that's something that they don't necessarily like and it's something that we here in southern Alberta fight against and uh, above all we want to have live colonies when they come through in the spring don't we. All right so this adaptability allows colonies to survive and 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 if you get queens from Canada usually those queens have sweaters on them and not bikinis coming from someplace warm like Australia, New Zealand or uh, I don't know South America. <laughs> so um, we really want to have queens that are bred in this country and that way they're uh, acclimatized to this country and they're able to, to work with some of the differences here. Um, the bees that I have actually came out of a building and um, 
that, that I'm working for my friend. They came out of a building. They have wonderful genetics. It's a queen that was born here in Canada, so she knows what's happening. She knows that what's what's going on as far as the temperatures. So they have a really good success rate when they have already when they've been born here and have that you know that sense of how things work here. In the spring, an overwintered colony of bees may consist of between ten thousand to twenty thousand individuals. Um, as the number of worker bees increases, the more are available to maintain the brood nest. And the size of the brood nest increases, the colony expands in an upward direction. So let's, let's, let's kind of flesh that part out. As the number of worker bees increases, there are more available to maintain the brood nest. There's also more available to go get um, nectar and pollen, and they're more available to guard put at the front door to guard the bees nest. So there's a lot of things that that happen that we're happy that happen. <laughs> and um, with the increases, however, you do need to know what this means. Okay, so um, there is a certain number that is needed for the brood nest. Um, and they sit on top of the, the brood when it's a little bit chilly. They flap their wings, keep the brood warm by projecting heat downward. Okay. And there has to be enough bees to cover the whole entire um, frame where the brood is. And they also want to keep the honey warm and they want to, you know, keep all the food warm as well. So that, you know, uh, a, a brood nest um, usually... Um, they're, as they're coming out of the winter, the queen lays in a larger and larger circle and it eventually kind of resembles um, like, a, um, what is the little plates underneath the coffee cup? <laughs> I can't remember. Anyways, it's about that size. It's about the size of a small little saucer. Um, and, and, uh, the bees will cover that. They'll also cover the um, encircling um, pollen and the outside honey band as well. So they cover that all. They keep it warm. Um, the food is readily accessible to the the young bees that are feeding everybody, and it's it's a good you know circumstance. However, as it starts getting warmer, the queen starts going around and laying more eggs until you get a dinner plate size. And then she'll lay the other side and the other frame. And as the bees start hatching and, and coming out of their cocoons, um, they immediately go to the honey band, yum yum some honey, uh, eat some bee bread, and then they go to work. And the bees from um, uh, zero to two weeks, we call those house bees. And the reason is, is because the workers between zero and two weeks are the ones that have the best um, royal jelly excretion abilities. And so they go around and they share their royal jelly with everybody who they're supposed to. And uh, they're the ones who are dealing with stuff happening in the nest, directly in the nest. So the more of these two-week-old uh, bees that you have, the greater size of the nest it'll be. Um, and 
if you can cover all of your babies, then you can spare that many extra bees to go out and forage. So they'll go out, grab some nectar, bring it back to the colony. It will feed the colony for that day. Plus, they, like we said earlier, they come back with a little bit extra and they feed their, uh, or they put it up into storage. So, and, and they'll work to cure the honey. They'll give it a little bit of time so that beneficial bacteria change the nature of the honey and then eventually gets to the point where it's ready, it's dried out enough and they cap it. Okay, so um, that whole entire dynamic of as the brood nest increases and as they start getting more and more bees, then more and more bees go out and do other things, right? So that's something that you need to know. Um, and as a beekeeper, you'll be um, dealing with either expanding or contracting the brood nest size by doing certain activities. So it kind of gives you that, that ability to go, okay, yeah, um, <laughs> I need to get these bees ready for fall. I know that the the size of the uh, colony is going to decrease. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off all the honey and harvest the honey. And then I'm going to feed them a little bit of sugar water because in the fall, um, there's not as many flowers around here in Southern Alberta for them to, to munch on. So I'm going to be feeding them nectar, but I'm going to take off the top boxes and leave them with, I don't know, depending on how you do it, either one box or two boxes on the bottom. And those boxes will be backfilled with honey. And as they start backfilling the the sugar water into their, you know, and they modify it from sugar water to nectar to um, honey, um, it will start filling in from the outside in towards the middle. And that will help decrease the size of the brood nest. So you're doing things to help them decrease the size of the brood nest. Um, and, and by putting or taking off the, their honey that they stored and putting on your nectar and then limiting the size of the brood nest, you're kind of signaling to them, okay, this is what you need to be doing now. So it helps them out and, and you just decided that you wanted that brood nest smaller. Um, one of the things that helps is if you have the right kind of bees, those bees will instinctually start knowing fall. They're, they're decreasing the amount of brood, backfilling with honey. Um, so that's another way by choosing the type of bees you can, you can um, either... Um, increase the size in the spring by having Russian bees, or you can decrease the size of the colony um, in the spring and in the fall by having some of the other bees like uh, um, the, the European bees that are really nice. Um, <laughs> the Carnelian, Carnolians, the, the, the other ones. So you're able to, you're able to make decisions to modify the size of the brood nest either mechanically or by choosing different genetics. <clears throat> okay, so the advantage of the heat rising from the brood nest headed by the queen with an optimum laying capacity and no limits on food and space, the colony populations can increase to a maximum of approximately 60,000 comprised of a single queen. 
a few thousand drones, and many, many workers. <clears throat> if conditions warrant, in the late spring and early summer, the colony may begin swarming preparations. Swarming is initiated when the amount of queen substance available to the worker population becomes too low to maintain colony cohesion. This, thus, or this situation may occur when rapidly expanding colonies become crowded, limiting the dispersal of the queen pheromone, which in turn results in queen cell construction. Okay, so this is talking about a circumstance that happens because of several different factors. And it can be one of those factors or it can be all of those factors, okay? So uh, pheromone that the queen gives off is something that triggers stuff that happens in the nest, <laughs> okay? Most people believe that the queen is in charge of the nest. She is not. <laughs> she is in charge of making everybody happy in the nest. And how she does that is she... she uh, I guess the best way that you could put it in layman's terms is she sweats and the other bees come around and lick off the sweat and then they transfer it to their friends. And then as they're chewing their wax, they deposit it into the nest in the wax. So that sweat is pheromones. And so they, they stick that, that pheromones into the nest by chewing it into the nest. They trade it by essentially <laughs> licking other bees and other bees licking other bees and other bees licking other bees. So essentially they're trading her sweat all around the whole entire brood nest and everybody knows what the queen smells like and everybody knows that if the queen's there and the queen's producing and she's got this wonderful pheromone spell, that means that she's producing good eggs and everything's fine. She calms the whole entire nest. Um, when something happens where her bee sweat isn't being passed around, they start panicking because then they're like, okay, well, now we need to make sure that we have enough um, or, or we, we take advantage of the um, brood that we have right now and make a new queen because, oh my gosh, we're without a queen. So what can happen in order for that to happen is A, and this happens the most, you squish the queen accidentally. <laughs> so you put the frame in too hard, it comes down, squishes your queen, she's done. Or you pull out that frame and you happen to roll the queen, Like, and by rolling the queen, you get the queen in between something, some hard place or some other piece of wax, and it rolls her, and as it rolls her, it damages her, and she either dies or she's damaged, in which case she won't be putting out the pheromone, they won't pass it around, they'll know something's wrong, they'll take advantage of the brood that's, that's starting and make a new queen. Or she has been... Um, told by the other uh, lady bees that she stinks. She stinks wrong and they don't want her around no more. And they say, get out. And of course, you know that there's that little argument there. No, I'm not getting out. Yes, you are getting out. And so that what they do is they run her around, make her exercise so that she gets down to flying size and they don't feed her anymore. And she gets really pissed off. She goes to the outside of the box 
that causes the swarming reaction to happen and off she goes. So when they start exercising her and refusing to feed her, they will pick out another cell with a, a three-day-old um, brood in it and they will start making that into a queen. And usually they don't take their chances. They will usually make three or more queen cells so that they have a good <laughs> selection and they'll be really tricky with where they put their queen cells because they don't want anything happening to those queen cells. So it's up to you to know that that's happening and be able to take advantage of that or not, whatever you want to do. So another way that her pheromone could um, get lost is if by some slim chance you are switching around the uh, boxes and you happen to put the one that she's in up above and then she's you've got half of the brood down below you've got the honey barrier on the top of the the top brood box and then you switch the 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 brood boxes around and there is brood on the bottom honey barrier and then brood and then another honey barrier so you've you've kind of broken up the nest right um and so what ends up happening is um, the queen isn't by the other set of brood. And so they will not smell the, the pheromones of the queen, but she's actually up above still in the hive. And she's going about her business. She doesn't know anything's wrong. Um, she'll start expanding her brood nest and she'll actually expand her brood nest up <laughs> So um, instead of trying to go down, she won't cross that honey barrier. So in, in the nest, like I was explaining earlier, there is a group of, of brood, like a dinner plate sized piece of brood there. And um, as it gets bigger, that, that circle gets bigger and it spans the space of two boxes. So literally you can have a brood nest that is two boxes high in the size of, I don't know, a big, huge trash can lid size, you know, like big, huge um, brood nest. Um, and what they will have is on the outside of that brood nest, they'll have a band of pollen. And then around that, they'll have a band of honey. So if you were to happen to flip that, you have now caused a problem in the nest because there's a honey barrier between the brood up top and the brood down below. The bees will be taking care of the, the two week old uh, bees will be taking care of the brood. And one of those boxes won't smell the queen in around the brood. So they will start making a new queen wherever they are. And the one that has the queen won't be making the new queen. So <laughs> you've made a problem. Um, and, and that's the reason why, they don't know that there's another queen in the box. Um, also, um, age causes the pheromone to decrease. So if your bee gets to be two to three years old, her pheromone level is decreasing. And even though she's still more or less a good layer, those bees will have said, okay, yeah, no, no, thank you. <laughs> We're making a new queen. And they'll initiate the swarm process. So swarming in is initiated when the amount of queen substance, and I like how they call it queen substance, it's a pheromone, um, that we can't smell, by the way, 
um, is decreased. And uh, it can happen also when there's way too many bees in there and they're, you know, when they're passing the queen pheromone mouth to mouth to mouth to mouth, eventually it gets to the point where as it goes from the middle on the way out of the hive, there's just no substance left to pass, so they just don't smell it. <clears throat> so, um, also, if the uh, queen stops laying as much brood, the brood gives off a little bit of a pheromone themselves, and so the brood, the lack of brood signals that there is not a good queen in there and they start making a new queen. If there is way too much ventilation in the hive, so if you have a huge big hole at the bottom, you know, because on a normal beehive with the, um, a normal uh, store-bought beehive, there will be a huge big board on the bottom and there'll be a landing area outside of the, the brood box. The bees come and land on it and then they walk in through the um, inch high crack on the bottoms. It's, it's, I think it's actually a five eighths crack on the bottom. And um, if you don't put in the limiter there's this huge big area that wind can blow in and up through the hive. And then if you have a larger area at the top, let's say you didn't um, line up your hives correctly and there's a huge big gap at the back. Um, so you'll get air going in, blowing up and out that gap. And you'll get so much air going through there that they will actually miss the pheromone and they will that will cause them to start the swarming process um, another thing is if for some reason there is lots and lots of honey in the colony and not enough space for egg laying um, that might cause a swarming process to start and also uh, disease within the colony will cause uh, a, a swarm process to start. Uh, pests within the colony will start that. Um, if the bees are flying out and there's a skunk outside grabbing a bee as it flies out, every single time a bee flies out it and spits it out, sucks out the honey and spits it out. Um, if it's sitting out there and uh, you have an abnormal decrease in bees in the colony, That'll start the swarming process. So there's a lot of different things that play an important uh, um, purpose in the regulatory roles in swarming in the hive. So what I've just told you is a huge amount of variables. And you as the beekeeper have to keep uh, a good grasp on all of those variables. It's one of the reasons why beekeeping isn't easy because <laughs> you have to keep track of what's going on in your hive and understand the variables that may be happening understand the signs that are happening and if you're not in your hive every 14 days at least you will miss those queen cells and if you miss those queen cells you will end up losing half of your hive to the swarming process once the swarming process has started 
you as a beekeeper can do very little to stop that swarm process. You can knock back the amount of bees in the hive. The swarm process will still be happening, but they will decide that they have to get more bees before they swarm. And so they'll try and increase the population and you can knock down the, the swarm population again and again by transferring out bees and brood and blah, blah, blah. But you're just not gonna get rid of that swarm process, okay? Um, you may try to uh, take their queen away mechanically. Go in there, find the frame that she's on, pull that frame, go make a split. And, and that's something that we'll talk about later. But you'll make a split, you'll throw some extra bees in with her to give her a fighting chance to get this thing going again. And then the bees will go, oh, we don't have a queen. So you mechanically swarm and, and that might decrease their desire to split but then again it might not they might get big again they might get a new queen and they might split regardless so you really don't know what's going to be happening uh, you'll do your best these these bees are not um <laughs> they're not uh, uh something that that you can train something that you can enclose they're still wild bees, so you're unfortunately going to be dealing with uh, undomesticated animals or, bee or insects, and um, you're just going to have to deal with it. So your whole entire goal as a beekeeper is to um, encourage the bees to stay in the container that you put them in, give them the appropriate things that they need in order to <laughs> um, not swarm out and uh, allow them to go through the processes of their life cycle. One of the processes of their life cycle is reproduction of the colony of the superorganism and that usually happens in the springtime. So understanding that as a beekeeper, you're ahead of the game and you might be able to change how they do it by mechanically swarming. <laughs> okay, so we'll talk a little bit about mechanical swarming later. Just kind of put a little sticky note on that idea and uh, we'll get back to it, okay? Prior to swarming, when a space available for egg laying is reduced, the queen is said to become honey bound. At this point, the queens are, are produced in queen cells where the old queen's egg laying rate falls off, her abdomen reduces in size, her nurse bees tend to feed her less and agitate her, see what we were talking about before, and agitate her and eventually force her out of the hive with a good portion of the workers and drones. The swarm generally issues round about midday, okay, so take note of this, midday, when it is sunny and warm, often on a day following a period of inclement weather, okay, so rainy days bring swarms, <laughs> okay, so keep that in your brain too, uh, during which the whole population has been crowded into the hive, they've been munching down on their food, they're irritated, they're pissed off, and so they take it out on the queen. Does that sound like your house? 
It sounds like my house. <laughs> when the missus is caged up and she hasn't been able to get out, she gets kind of grumpy with the, the mister and takes it out on the mister. In the hive, they take it out on the queen. Um, so it generally issues around midday and usually after a period of inclement weather, during which the whole population has been crowded into the hive. The swarm generally settles on a branch. Okay, so um, when this happens, they initiate the swarm, the workers initiate the swarm, and it's the workers who are actually in charge of the hive. They initiate the swarm. Somehow they've put the queen on an exercise regimen. They've sent the queen out uh, of the hive. She's pissed off. She's lost enough weight. She can fly again. She's ready to go. She goes out on outside the hive. Half the colony, actually almost three quarters of the colony goes out with her. And they fly off and they'll go up to five kilometers away from the hive. So they'll go a long distance away from the hive. Once they get there to that branch um, or that shopping cart or that car bumper or someplace where they've decided to take a rest, um, if the queen has been damaged in flight, she will stop there and they will try and make the best of what they can do there. So that's where in Canada, we actually get a comb being made on a branch. And, and what happens is they say, okay, we've got to make the best of what we have here. The temperatures are pretty good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make uh, a comb here. We're going to encourage the queen to lay in the comb. We're going to keep that area warm so that the brood gets the ability to make a new queen and uh, the new queen will hatch. And when the new queen hatches, we're continuing on to a better place. Okay, so that's what happens if the queen gets injured in the mating or in the in the swarm flight. Um, so if you find a branch that has a piece of comb on it and it's just hanging there, that's what's happened. Okay, if you see a whole bunch of um, um, wax that's been put on a branch, but no, uh, no um, comb on there. What's happened is the queen is rested up. She says to the gals, okay, I think I can make it. Let's move on. They will all move on and fly away and find their home. Um, while they're sitting there and she's resting up or she's trying to get a little bit better so that she can fly the rest of the distance, other bees have decided to go back to the colony. So half the colony remains out on this branch. The other quarter has gone back to the original colony. They're helping out um, the new queen and getting things ready to go. Um, but a lot of times what will happen is after they hit that branch, they will send out peep, um, bees, scouts, to go find a good place for them to call a home. Um, sometimes they won't be able to find anything here on the prairie, and so they will fly another up to five kilometers away from that. They'll land on another branch, they'll send out scouts, find a good place to be. Okay, so 
as beekeepers, we usually get the phone call that, hey, bees are being annoying on somebody's bumper of somebody's car. Come get them. <laughs> so what you need to know is this process lasts about two days. So the quickest you can get to rescue those bees, the better your chances are. The population in this swarm is sometimes up to five or six queens in this swarm. So what has happened is um, if you find more than one queen in the swarm that is has left the colony, if, if there's just one, it means that she was kicked out before they made the queen cells or before the queen cells hatched. Um, and so, but if you find five or six queens in that bunch of, of uh, bees, then you have, um, they, they were stuck inside that, that hive probably because of bad weather. It was raining or something was happening. So the queen cells hatched and nature abhors sending out just one. They want to send out the best possible opportunity. So unmated queens will have gone out with the rest of the colony and they will be out there. They haven't really started excreting pheromone too much. So they're kind of just accepted in that big, huge ball as part of the uh, uh, crew that's leaving Egypt and heading off to Israel. <laughs> you know, they've, they, everybody's gone. And what will end up happening is they will end up splitting up into their groups. So a ball of worker bees will be around one queen. And so if you're looking at a swarm and you can see a big ball, and then down below on a different branch, another ball, that's probably two different swarms. So don't be putting both of those swarms into the same box. You'll cause yourself some issues. Um, you'll want to get a separate box for each of those swarms. So if you can, you put the, the smaller swarm into a smaller box. You put the bigger swarm into, I don't know, a small box or a bigger box. And then um, if there's another swarm, you put that into a different box and you take them out uh, to an apiary and you set them down and those queens will be in those boxes. Your unmated queens will go for mating flights, come back and start their business. The mated queen will start her business right away within like two or three days. So that's generally what happens with those swarms. If you're not involved, those swarms will find different areas to be in and they will start up their colony. And it's just a way of multiplying the, the superorganism three or four different times and giving them the best chance at living because they have several different options. Okay, so that's generally what happens. So... Let's go back to, to the reading area. The swarm generally settles on a branch, fence, post, or some such location close to the... Uh, and, and, they, and a lot of times they'll be close to the hive and it remains there while they scout bees, search for a new home, returning to communicate their findings by means of some sort of bee dance used to recruit a bunch of people or a bunch of bees. And what happens is the, the uh, scouts will go out, they'll 
find a nice place to be. They'll come back, they'll dance, and they'll tell what they've found. The bees don't, um, the bees do not rely upon those spies they sent out. So they'll send more out. And um, then they'll come back, more bees will do more dances, and they'll go back out again, and then they'll come back, and then they'll be like, great, let's go there, and away they go. And it's, <laughs> they all just kind of take a vote after a whole bunch of eyewitnesses have come back, and that's what they do. Eventually, one of these locations that the scouts have gone out receives the majority of visits and recruitment of most of the foragers sent out to investigate its suitability, and the swarm moves to this location to start a new home. If we have many different colonies doing that, then that happens many different times. Um, so that's what they do. In the meantime, back at the old digs back in Egypt, a virgin queen will emerge from one of the queen cells in the parent colony. She also may leave the parent colony with a small number of workers. So if the digs that they were in originally aren't good for her to be in, she doesn't like her normal area, she will decide to leave as well. And that's one of the ways that they make sure that they, in the wild, bee colonies that are in trees, if they decide that it's not good to be there, they have a high mite load, which is something we'll talk about later. Um, if they have a high amount of mites on them and they're diseased, they might leave to a different area and hopefully they decrease the amount of um, uh, mites that they have on them by leaving and going to another area. Also, um, what happens in their old digs if everybody's gone, uh, wax moths will come into the hive, uh, different things will start nesting in there. So you'll get a, a <laughs> uh, you'll get a, a mouse crawling into that nest, they'll chew up everything and eat everything in there. They'll decide to leave the nest. You know, you'll get some bugs in there that clean up the nest. And eventually some colony will split off and a group of scout bees will come to the original nest and they'll go, oh, look, it's all cleaned up. The the wax moths have cleaned up everything. You know, there's some culture stuff in the bottom, some, some bacteria and grossness down in the bottom. That's cool. We don't care. We'll move back into this digs. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of honey and wax left in there and they'll be like, oh, look at this. Um, already the bare bones of what we need in order to start a bee colony. So they'll start taking over the old area. If by chance um, it was still an okay for, place for the new queen to be, she will leave and get mated. And we'll talk about that later. Um, she'll fly past a bunch of um, boys and the boys will go and they'll chase her. And uh, the first bee to, to reach her um, is the first bee to... Um, mate her she'll mate with up to 20 25 bees um she'll come back to the colony she'll never leave the colony again until this whole entire swarming process happens again so <sighs> there's a lot more to go into 
Um, but we'll leave it right there in the area of the colony has started again, either in different digs or in the original colony. The Virgin Queen will come out. She'll go get mated, come back, start her colony. And that's more or less where we'll leave it <laughs> for right now. Um, that was just a, a quick idea of the the life cycle of the the super organism we call a bee colony um, and how they end up reproducing themselves um, so it gives you an idea of kind of that life cycle of the super organism thank you guys for listening um, for the uh, um, beekeepers that are in my little uh, um, Beginner's beekeeping class, we're going to be holding uh, our beekeeping class here very soon. Um, and I am excited to tell you all about our woodenware and about how to do beekeeping um, in a dry run idea with no bees in the colony. <laughs> so we'll play with the woodenware, we'll, we'll get a whole bunch of things happening and uh, we'll give you a, a few examples. Everybody will get a chance to do the processes that we do with the woodenware um, without the bees in the colony. So it'll be a low anxiety type idea. So we'll just get out there, have some fun and do our thing. Um, and for those of you who are listening over the internet, um, <laughs> I hope to be able to do the same things that I'm doing for my beekeeping class online. You'll find it on the library platform, LBRY, um, or the Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, uh, -E, and you look for Friends of Brother Adam, you'll be able to see some of these things in the future. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening and uh, for uh, coming and visiting. Uh, make sure that you like and subscribe to the podcast here. Like and subscribe on uh, the other platforms that I'm on. Um, and keep an eye on what's coming up with Odyssey. You can like and subscribe there as well. Um, we're on library. Like and subscribe there. Um, thank you all for coming. <laughs> if you like and subscribe... I want you to know what usually happens <laughs> here on this platform. I don't receive any remuneration for it, uh, but if you like and subscribe to it and uh, you like this particular podcast, uh, it helps drive people to come and hear the good news about beekeeping. And uh, we get to teach a little bit more and, and, and be in communion with everybody and, and chat and do all the things that we do here on this platform. Make sure that you guys, by word of mouth, spread it around. If you'd like to know a little bit more about beekeeping, hey, friends of Brother Adam, we do a lot of that be teaching of beekeeping. Um, if you guys take a look at our wider area, um, the, the wider amount of um, podcasts we have, we are actually teaching a beekeeping technician course online here at, uh, at on this podcast platform. Make sure that you take advantage, go through, 
listen to all this stuff and hopefully we can get you guys educated enough about bees that we can uh, be really good beekeepers. Thank you guys and we will talk with you all again.